Two steps forward and one step back is still forward progress. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear nation. How are we doing? For any new listeners, my name is Andrea. I am a total and complete shit show. I am an adult child of an alcoholic family. I am a recovering alcoholic myself. I celebrated 15 years this past September. Uh, the whole world should be glad I don't drink anymore. And go listen to my fourth episode if you want to hear why. Um, I am five foot eleven, and thank God I started smoking at twelve, or I would have been seven foot one. I love Real Housewives. I have a Candy Crush addiction, and I have a cat named Kiki who is my everything and who sometimes makes appearances on this podcast. And this podcast is where we talk about the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family and what the hell to do about it. I am a big fan of curse words, especially of fuck, so you have been warned. And welcome aboard this hot mess of a ship. So today, we are diving deep into the glorious, the lovely, the uplifting, the living hell thing known as an emotional flashback. Just that fun old thing that we experience from time to time. So this is one of the hallmark symptoms of complex PTSD. Now, I spent so many damn years of my life oblivious to the fact that anytime I was in a romantic relationship, that I was living in an emotional flashback. And I think that there are so many people out there who experience emotional flashbacks that have no damn clue that that's what's going on for them. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to create this podcast was in hopes of reaching as many of those people as possible, because it was such a relief to me to learn about complex PTSD, but especially about emotional flashbacks. Such a relief to know that there was a name for what I was experiencing, that I wasn't just a crazy lunatic and that there were ways to um, to cope with them and to heal, which I will be talking all about today. That's right, guys. You're getting a solo episode, and I am long overdue for this. I really, really, really get into my head when it comes to these solo episodes, and I know I should do them more, more often. Um, I've shared this before, but you know, when it comes to public speaking, speaking at a like a twelve step meeting. Anywhere, throw me up on a stage. I don't need a script. I will kill it. I won't be nervous. But for some reason, when I'm sitting here right now alone with my microphone staring at my computer, um, I overthink the shit out of everything. I overthink every single word that comes out of my mouth. So this is something that I need to to work through. Uh, what are the fears? The fears are that I feel like I have to say something so profound I have to say something so life-changing. I have to say something so funny. So let's just get our expectations straight, y'all. This episode is going to suck. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say anything profound. I'm not going to say anything life-changing. I'm not going to say anything funny. Uh, just bear with me for however long I end up talking, um, and hopefully we will all make it to the other side of this alive. I'm not saying thriving, but alive. Okay. <laughs> so let's uh, let's get a let's get a going on this discussion on that lovely old thing known as an amygdala hijacking. But first, let's talk about why you, yes, you need to damn the join shit show. This is the place to be for healing for adult children. This is where I host four weekly Zoom support groups. This is where you can connect with other fellow adult children, fellow shit shows. And there is nothing like this community anywhere else in the entire interwebs or in the entire world. This is truly such a special place where we feel so comfortable with each other, where we validate each other's experiences where we build friendship, and where we have a little fun. We are always laughing in every single damn group. So if your exposure to adult children support groups has been, you know, kind of like doom and gloom, you feel worse after you leave, I 1000% promise you that this will not be your experience in the shit show. So please see the link in the show note to join the damn shit show. Come on, just do it. Okay, just do it. You can quit after a month. Just give it a damn try. Next, give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Adult Child Pod. And last but not least, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple, on Spotify. This really does help me reach uh, as many people as possible. So you don't want to lay your head on your pillow at the end of the night feeling kind of guilty that you haven't given me a five-star review because you're preventing other suffering and sick adult children from finding this podcast. So just give me a damn five-star rating, please. Love you. Thank you. Flashbacks to that laundromat with my mama. I was young and wide-eyed, unaware of incoming karma. They say the first child should pay for the sin. All right, let's rock and roll. And again, let's set those expectations at the floor, folks. <laughs> set them low, baby. Uh, so what are we talking about? We are going to be talking about, let me give you the lay of the land. Uh, what is an emotional flashback? Uh, what is going on in the brain during a flashback? What is the difference between like a, a traditional PTSD flashback and emotional flashback? What triggers a flashback? Uh, how do we know that we're in a flashback and how the hell to cope with them? Um, but first, first we are going to talk a little bit about me. So, um, where to begin? So a couple things to set the stage. I saw a post on Instagram from Ingrid Clayton. So Ingrid was on the podcast a month or so ago. That was a damn good episode. Um, and this is what it said. Sometimes when we feel stagnant or feel like we are going backwards, we might actually be going back. To rescue parts of us that have been stuck in time, the parts we couldn't override no matter how hard we tried. And in finding these precious parts, reclaiming them for all their goodness, power, creativity, vulnerability, we are released even further into the here and now, into the fullness of who we are meant to be. 
Maybe there is no backwards or lack of momentum. Maybe it's all the perfect speed and perfect timing, making space and safety for the wounds to be found, felt, and healed. Um, And this resonated with me hard because this has been a really, really hard year for me. And this year I have experienced more emotional flashbacks than I have experienced in any other year of my adult child recovery. So I'm, I think I'm rounding up on closing up on year six here. And there has been a part of me that has felt like I am going backwards or that I am stagnant in a way. But what I realize and Bethany Webster spoke to this in the episode I had with her about how, you know, we heal and we gain resilience so that deeper, uh, more profound levels of, of healing can occur. And so, you know, there's this part of me that has been almost disappointed, beating myself up, telling myself that I'm, you know, regressing or I'm not making forward progress, or that I shouldn't be feeling certain ways, or that I shouldn't be behaving certain ways, when the reality is that this is all in imperfect timing, and that I am I am healing, and that um, it took the first five years for me to be able to be in a position to now to where I'm now able to start confronting what has been coming up for me. And I actually recorded an episode. It was going to be an introduction to one of my episodes a couple, probably a month ago. And I was in it. Like I was hysterically crying. Um, It was actually like wonderful content, but it did not sound very good uh, with like the tears and the snot and everything. But I'm going to touch upon some of the stuff that I was that I was saying through my sobbing then the the one realization that I've had over the past few months has been that the healing and the recovery that I've experienced thus far has been very much in the head very much conscious and not so much in the body and somatic what's really been coming up for me has been a lot of um it's like inner mother stuff but It really was just kind of like a perfect storm of events that occurred that honestly, initially I was pissed off. Like I was really pissed off at God. Like, why is this happening to me? Can you just cut me a break? But now I I clearly see that this is all happening the way it's supposed to. This is all happening in support of my greater healing, even though that can be really painful. Um, But I'll kind of fill in the blank some. So I guess it was back in April and I shared about some of this on the podcast. Um, I met a guy on an app. We went to, on our first date, We went, he took me to a Styx concert, which was kind of a little like woo-woo universe thing because I had just announced that um, Come Sail Away was the official theme song that I was deeming for uh, the new community for the shit show. So, of course, I'm like, so this, he's obviously the one. (laughs) But uh, we had such a wonderful first date. And I just felt like so seen, so heard, so understood in a way that I had not felt um, in any prior dating experience. And we went on a few more dates and it was great. Like I was able to connect with him on many different levels. And it just felt really, 
natural and easy, but not in a like anxious attachment. Like, uh, I mean, whatever. I just told you though. Oh my God, he's just my soulmate. But it felt, it just didn't feel like as like addicted. Uh, it, it didn't feel like kind of the trauma bonds of, of the past relationship experiences that I've had. But here's the asterisk. The asterisk is that he was in the midst of an, a, a divorce and I was under the impression that he was further along in the process than, than he was. And so after talking to my therapist, after talking to some dudes about this, I made the decision that I was going to cut it off with him until, you know, we could take a pause until you're further along in the process and you're actually in a place where you can be as emotionally available as, as I was, as I am. And the fact that I was willing to do that, like that was fucking huge for me because this was me uh, walking away from quality crumbs, quality crumbs, y'all. When I used to settle for moldy ass crumbs, like that was my pattern. And here was me. Um, here was me. Does that make sense? Here was me. Here I was. Here was me walking away from quality crumbs and making a decision that, I mean, I've never done something like that in the past. Now, don't get me wrong, like leading up to making that decision, I definitely was like full of fear. I definitely experienced some emotional flashbacks. They were not to the severity or duration as as I've experienced in the past, but whew, it was hard. Like I hadn't felt that way in a long ass time, just that feeling like I was going to die. Um, and so, yeah, and so I, I, I made this decision to, to walk away from that. And so that was huge. Um, I, at the same time, decided that I was going to dive into some new work, like a new therapy process. And I'm not going to say what it was because, you know, I ended up not having a good experience, but I don't think, I don't want to talk badly about this modality or the person, the practitioner of it, because, you know, I think it is unique to what my current experience was. But so I decided that I was going to do this new therapy modality with somebody. And I guess it's not even really therapy. Uh, so I guess we'll call it a healing modality, not a therapy modality. And I wanted to have it focused on just some more things that came up for me related to this relationship experience, uh, particularly related to these feelings of you know, why do I feel like a relationship is my like ticket to happiness? And why do I still sort of lose myself um, when I enter a relationship? This ended up really backfiring on me. And, and the reason for this is because um, I was not in a grounded space. Like, I think I started doing this work about a week after I cut it off with this guy. And like we discuss with EMDR, you know, there is this initial phase of um, getting grounded. So we can be in a stable place to be able to, to do this work because it's going to bring shit up. And I was not in that place at all. And also the person that I was doing it with, you know, I don't think she knew enough about my story. Perhaps she doesn't know enough about like complex PTSD or 
codependency type issues. But um, it it really, really, really did a doozy on me. And um, there was one afternoon that I was, it was the first time in 14 years that I seriously considered picking up a drink. And that was scary as hell. And thank God I didn't do that. But what happened after that was just a series of events that triggered my abandonment wound. And I was reading an article the other day, and this kind of sums up what my experience was. This is what this person said in this blog. It said, since I was not fully out of the initial episode, I was already sitting in a primed and conditioned state to succumb to additional occurrences of post-traumatic stress. And so that was what was happening to me. It was like one hit after the next hit of of that abandonment wound, hitting that primal abandonment wound that is so deep and that is so strong for me. And that maybe um, if these incidences had occurred to me on a singular basis, probably wouldn't have rattled me very much. But the uh, the accumulation of all of these things happening together was really, really, really hard. So all of this, this happened April, May, June of this year, and really put me in a vulnerable state, a really raw state, feeling very, you know, lonely and led to me, you know, slipping into some old coping mechanisms and subsequent events have occurred. You know, one day I will share about at length when I'm still processing and a lot of emotional flashbacks, a lot of really painful emotional flashbacks, but it, but a very different experience than what I've experienced in my past. And I will share about that uh, later in the episode when we talk about how to cope with emotional flashbacks. But what has become so crystal clear to me is that all of this has served as the catalyst to the realization of what still needs to be healed within me. And isn't that the way it always fucking goes, folks? <laughs> like it, it is always through pain that what still needs to be healed is revealed. And I've shared in some episodes about how I've had this realization about all of these feelings towards my mom that I genuinely did not know were in there. Like I did genuinely didn't think that I don't, I really felt like I was good there. Like I knew that there are still tears to be cried, more inner child healing, but I really thought I was good, like to an extent on the relationship with my mom. And that turns out not to be the case at all. <laughs> that turns out not to be the case at all. There's so much unresolved grief that needs to be felt. What I want to emphasize is that this, this healing work is not linear and we don't really have a say in, in how this, all this shit unfolds too. And whether you want to call it the subconscious mind or the universe or your higher power, or whatever, you know, knows when we are ready to address certain things. And unfortunately, the conscious part of ourselves doesn't really have 
much of a say in how or when that happens. And sometimes healing is really fucking messy. And sometimes healing is really fucking painful. And sometimes we have to take two steps backwards, but it's okay. It's all part of the process. And the most important thing that we can do is show ourselves compassion in these moments where we feel like we are regressing or we feel like we are stagnant in our growth. I just was rereading uh, The Healing the Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. And one of the things that he talks about is how the core of trauma recovery lies in releasing our toxic shame. And so that is why it is so important that we are mindful about how we are treating ourselves when we are suffering, when we are in pain or in those moments where we don't feel like we should be feeling this way or we don't think that we should be behaving those ways. Those are the moments more than ever that we need to show ourselves some compassion and grace. So yeah, there's that. Uh, but now it's time to get into the real meat and potatoes of this episode and talk about emotional flashbacks. First off, I want to say that the, the Bible pertaining to emotional flashbacks is Pete Walker's Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. That is a must read for every damn one of us. Um, and I will be pulling a lot of sharing a lot of information that comes from his, that book. So what the hell is an emotional flashback? In layman's terms, an emotional flashback is when something triggers our unresolved childhood trauma, which then causes us to be catapulted back in time and we feel the exact same feelings that we felt as a kid during these experiences. Pete Walker defines it as uh, an intensely disturbing regression to the overwhelming feeling states of your childhood abandonment. When you're trapped in a flashback, you are reliving the worst emotional times of your childhood. Sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> so as I shared in the introduction, I spent many, many years in experiencing emotional flashbacks in romantic relationships and not having any damn clue that was what was going on. And it was the aha moment with uh, Brian number one that I finally was able to connect the dots that this is a feeling that I felt often as a child. This is the same exact feeling as the separation anxiety that I experienced with my mom as a little girl. My very first memory of this happening was, um, you know, just one night I just woke up in the middle of the night and I felt like I was going to die if I didn't sleep in my mom's bed. And, you know, I, I went into her room. She walked me back to my room. Then my dad did it. It was this back and forth, back and forth. And I was just relentless. Like I had to sleep in my mom's bed. And when they realized that uh, nobody was going to get any sleep unless I slept in my mom's bed and my dad slept in my bed, they gave in. And I, and it was the same feeling that I experienced whenever I would go to a sleepover. Like I would get this panic come over me right before 
it was time to go to bed. Then I would have to call my parents to have them come pick me up. I'm sure that we all experience emotional flashbacks a little bit different, but you know, for me, it just truly is the worst fucking feeling in the whole wide world. It literally feels like I am going to die and whatever it is that I'm fixating on, for me, it is triggered by the fear of abandonment. And so when this sets in, it feels like if this person abandons me, like my life is literally over. My life is ruined. I will never recover from this. I'm not going to be okay until I hear from this person. And I can't concentrate on anything else. Like I become totally consumed with whomever person is, whoever it is that I feel like is abandoning me. Uh, so how is this different from uh, a regular flashback? What do we want to call this? Like like plain PTSD? OG PTSD? <laughs> Basically the PTSD that uh, everyone thinks of when uh, you think of PTSD. So uh, war, catastrophic events, sexual assaults. And so for those types of trauma, you get int intrusive flashbacks. This is when something reminds us of the traumatic event and we feel like we are back at the scene of the trauma, re-experiencing the sights, the sounds, and the emotions associated with it. Uh, another type of flashback that could occur for people with OG reg PTSD is, is um, dissociative flashbacks. And so this is when you have a feeling of being detached from oneself. So someone might feel as if they are like observing the traumatic event from a distance or experiencing the event from a third person perspective. But then we have emotional flashbacks and this is re-experiencing intense emotions rather than there being a visual or audio component. So it is purely intense emotions. The other thing that separates an emotional flashback from an OG PTSD flashback is that it's not associated with a, a singular event, but rather a, a collection of memories of all the various experiences that we had during our childhood. And piled on top of that is all of the experiences in adulthood that also um, triggered this unresolved trauma. So for me, when I'm going into an emotional flashback, it's not that I'm not only just feeling the feelings from my childhood, I'm also feeling all the past experiences of, you know, being in romantic relationships and experiencing abandonment. So what the hell is going on in the brain during a flashback? First, I want to explain how the hell we got here. Like what is going on in childhood that causes us to have emotional flashbacks in adulthood? So our limbic system and the amygdala is part of our limbic system. This is the part of the brain that processes our emotions and collects data gathered by our senses. And then it is the thinking part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, that then takes all of that info collected from the limbic system and makes sense of it. Like it creates a whole coherent picture or story that we can remember. But what happens during trauma is that the prefrontal cortex shuts down and the limbic system revs up. 
So since the prefrontal cortex was not doing its job of, you know, elevating this information to a conscious level and making sense of it, these emotions and these sense impressions get stored within us, but they remain unconscious. So the body remembers, but the mind forgets. And so I want to point out here, it's really not what actually happened to us in a sense that causes the damage. It's really that we didn't make sense or process what happened to us that is damaging. And so in Healing the Shame That Binds You, John Bradshaw says, trauma is bound to happen somewhere along the line in any normal childhood. In a healthy, respectful family, a child's feelings are validated. As Alice Miller has repeatedly written, it is not the trauma we suffer in childhood that makes us emotionally ill, but the inability to express the trauma. Children need their pain validated. They need to be shown how to discharge their feelings. They need time to do the discharge work and they need support. An abandoned child would not necessarily become shame-based if there was a nourishing ally who could validate his pain and give him time to resolve it by doing his grief work. So now let's talk about what's going on in the brain during an emotional flashback. So the amygdala, this place where all of these emotional memories are stored. In our day-to-day life, the amygdala functions as like an emotional lookout post. So it scans every situation, every perception of ours, and asks, you know, is it dangerous? Is this something I fear? Is this something that could hurt me? And when the answer to that is yes, it then alerts the rest of the brain that we are in emergency mode. It sounds the alarms. So in addition to you know, scanning our environment. At the same time, the amygdala is also comparing what is happening in the here and now with what has happened in the past. And its method of comparison is associative. So there just needs to be like one key element of a present situation that is similar to the past for it to match it. When in actuality, like this could be contempt prior to investigation, it makes this determination before we truly have enough evidence to determine whether or not there is um, similarities to the past. And research has shown that in the first few milliseconds of perceiving something, we don't just identify what we see, but we have an opinion on it. And so in a matter of milliseconds, the amygdala can perceive a threat that it somehow connects to our unresolved childhood trauma. The amygdala alerts the rest of the brain. We go into an emotional flashback. We get flooded with all of these feelings that we felt during those childhood experiences. And we don't have any idea that that is what the hell is going on. We think that it has everything to do with the present circumstance at hand and nothing to do with the past. And it can seem so irrational, right? Like I remember thinking, why am I feeling this way over somebody not texting me back? Or why am I this upset about a a guy that I spent two hours with, like, why do I feel like I am going to uh, die, right? Like, this is pathetic, but it doesn't matter that uh, consciously we think it's irrational 
the amygdala has taken us hostage. So now let's talk about triggers. So anything that reminds us of the original childhood wound will trigger that pain if this wound is still unresolved or unprocessed. So we have external and internal triggers. So external triggers would be people, places, things, events, our five senses, facial expressions, styles of communication, visiting your parents, you know, seeing somebody who resembles uh, your abuser, um, anniversaries, uh, hearing someone use a particular tone of voice, uh, the way that somebody looks at us, making a mistake, having to ask for help, uh, having to speak in front of a group, authority figures, my classic one, somebody not texting you back after 10 minutes. So then we have internal triggers. And so this is when the inner critic or the inner critical parent, you know, says shit to us that sends us into an emotional flashback. So you're worthless, you're unlovable, uh, you're a failure, blah, 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 blah. You know, those words did not come from us. And so when the inner critic is sending us that message, it can be a trigger to the unresolved trauma of the experiences that we had as kids in which that message was ingrained in us. So now let's talk about how the hell can you tell if you are in an emotional flashback? So number one, the, the biggest way to tell is when the reaction that we are having is out of proportion to the situation at hand. Somebody hasn't texted me back and I want to fucking kill myself, <laughs> right? And so uh, the two examples that P. Walker gives in, um, in the book is one, when a minor upset feels like an emergency and two, when a minor unfairness feels like a travesty of justice. So somebody took the last cupcake or something and you feel like you really got fucking burned. Um, other ways to tell that you are in an emotional flashback when you are feeling small, helpless, hopeless, when the inner critic gets louder than normal, or when we find ourselves engaging in more numbing or dissociative behavior than normal. So all of these are indicators that we could be in the midst of an emotional flashback. And so being able to recognize when we are in the midst of an emotional flashback is a skill that we must hone. It takes time, but it is absolutely possible. I can say for myself now that I can identify rather quickly, if not instantaneously, when I am in an emotional flashback. It can often be difficult for us to figure out what the hell triggered us because this is typically unconscious memories that are getting stirred up. And so I wanna share a tip, which is to keep a trauma log. So this is where you will keep track of anytime you get triggered or anytime you go into an emotional flashback, you know, saying what happened, um, what were you thinking, what were you feeling physically? What were you feeling emotionally? And what were you saying? And so you may be able to see some sort of a pattern by tracking all of this that might give you some clues as to what the particular trigger is. So now let's talk about 
what the hell to do when you are in the midst of one and you're able to recognize it. Uh, first, just let me say the notion that we will be come so healed that we will get to a place where we will never experience emotional flashbacks is probably a bit far-fetched, y'all. Like, hate to break it to you, but we'll probably be dealing with this for the rest of our lives. However, cope with it and have it not be so debilitating. So these are the 13 steps for managing emotional flashbacks, and this comes from uh, Pete Walker's book. So number one, say to yourself, I am having a flashback. Just doing that, having that acknowledgement is huge. It doesn't necessarily make the feelings, the pain go away, but somehow it just makes it seem a bit more manageable. Number two, remind yourself, I feel afraid, but I am not in danger. I am safe now here in the present. Number three, own your right or need to have boundaries. Remind yourself that you do not have to allow anyone to mistreat you. You are free to leave dangerous situations and protest unfair behavior. Four, Speak reassuringly to the inner child. The child needs to know that you love them unconditionally, that they can come to you for comfort and protection when they feel lost and scared. And so this is one thing that I that I do when I'm able to recognize that I am in the midst of a flashback is talk to my inner child and tell her that, you know, I love her, that she is safe, that I am not going to abandon her that this time is different, even though it feels like the past, it's not. Number five, deconstruct eternity thinking. In childhood, fear and abandonment felt endless. A safer future was unimaginable. Remind this, remember that this flashback will pass as it always has before. Six, remind yourself that you were in an adult body with allies, skills, and resources to protect you that you never had as a child. Seven, ease back into your body. Fear launches you into heady worrying or numbing and spacing out. So A, gently ask your body to relax. B, breathe deeply and slowly. C, slow down. D, find a safe place to unwind and soothe yourself. E, feel the fear in your body without reacting to it. Fear is just an energy in your body it cannot hurt you if you do not run from it. Number eight, resist the inner critics drasticizing. How do you say that? Drasticizing, I guess. And catastrophizing. A, use thought stopping to halt the critics' endless exaggerations of danger and its constant planning to control the uncontrollable. Refuse to shame, hate, or abandon yourself. Channel the anger of, of self-attack into saying no to your critics' unfair self-criticism. Or B, use thought substitution or thought correction to replace negative thinking with a memorized list of your qualities and accomplishments. So I will put it in the show notes, but um, in the book, but it's also on the web, he has written, Pete Walker's written a bunch of like little scripts of things that you can say to yourself out loud, thought substitution and thought correction based off different things. So like if we're dealing with um, perfectionism or black and white thinking, there's 
I know there's, there's quite a few that he has these uh, recommended scripts that you can say to yourself. Number nine, and this is a big one, allow yourself to grieve. Flashbacks are opportunities to release old, unexpressed feelings of fear, hurt, and abandonment. Validate and soothe your child's past experience of helplessness and hopelessness. Healthy grieving can turn your tears into self-compassion and your anger into self-protection. So that is something that I have been able to do in, in the midst of these emotional flashbacks that I've been experiencing uh, is, is sitting with it. And I, I, I feel like I'm now at a place, the subconscious mind knows that I'm now at a place where I can handle that, that I can sit with those emotions. Now, you know, I'm not sitting there for like hours. There's only so much we can take, but I will try my best to sit with the feeling, uh, breathe in and out, talk to my inner child and just sit in the discomfort for as long as what seems, you know, healthy for me before I will pick up the phone and, you know, ask for help. Uh, number 10, cultivate safe relationships and seek support. Take time alone when you need it, but don't let shame isolate you. Feeling shame doesn't mean you are shameful. So this is fucking huge too. I'm so grateful for the amazing people in my life who know exactly how I feel in the midst of these flashbacks and are able to talk me off the ledge because in the past, prior to, you know, starting this podcast, I really didn't have anybody who understood what it was like to experience an emotional flashback. And so that has been such a lifesaver, a game changer. And I truly know that part of the reason that all of this stuff is surfacing for me now is because my higher self knows that I'm, I have the support in my life to, um, to, to confront this stuff and to do this healing work. So damn grateful. Um, 12, figure out what you're flashing back to. So we've talked about this. We talked about the trauma log and number 13, be patient with a slow recovery process. Who the fuck wants to hear that? <laughs> It takes time in the present to become de-adrenalized, de-adrenalized, and considerable time in the future to gradually decrease the intensity, duration, and frequency of the flashbacks. Real recovery is a gradually progressive process, often two steps forward and one step back, not an attained salvation fantasy. Don't beat yourself up for having a flashback. Well, folks, oh, man, oh, man, that was a lot of talking um, for those of you who have who have made it this far in the journey. Uh, well done. Yeah, let me know. Let me know your thoughts on the episode. Um, I always love hearing aha's insights, whatever's related to any episode. And I just want to express my gratitude to Every single person listening to this podcast, thank you for allowing me this space, this opportunity, this love, this support to go through this healing work 
in a very public way. And um, I just feel so honored. This podcast is, I know it's, it's much bigger than just me. And I feel humbled that, um, that I've been chosen to like, to do this, to do this work, to be a voice for this cause. And again, I'm just so extremely appreciative for each and every one of y'all's support. Love you all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.